Good morning, church. Hey, we're grateful that you guys are here, and uh, we actually, uh, I need your help doing something. We want to welcome uh, our Edgewood campus as they uh, watch with us, okay? So y'all give them a shout out. We are so grateful uh, of what God is doing uh, through Stone Point Church, and uh, we're grateful for what God is doing in Edgewood, Texas, and uh, this is something we've been praying about for uh, a couple of years now. Uh, we believed we were very close to launching it almost a year ago. And so, uh, though the timeline was a little different than what we originally anticipated, uh, we're grateful to be uh, in that community and begin uh, the process of making a church there uh, where people can be a part of. And I'll tell you the greatest thing to me about starting a new location, it's one church, two locations, uh, is that we offer an opportunity for people in Van Zant County that are hurting, that feel broken, that would admit in their lives that, in essence, they can't, but they need a God that can. That's why we are beginning that, is so that people who they feel like they're not accepted or they're not welcomed in some places, that they could come and they could be a part of a body who would openly say, we're messed up people. And we're broken and we've been separated far from God. But because of his son, Jesus, he gives us new life. And because of that hope, we have an opportunity to have a relationship with other people. But most importantly, a relationship with God. Amen. Well, uh, today we're beginning a new series on prayer. And uh, yes, if you look at the title, it just says prayer. Yeah, we, we weren't real creative. OK, and I'll take that one. Uh, but the bottom line is, is when you start thinking about prayer, it's somewhat of a difficult subject to approach. Matter of fact, I think many of us in here would say, I agree that prayer can be a challenge. Yes? Let me just ask you to, to do something. I want you to do the same thing, uh, whether you're here, whether you're in Edgewood, and it's going to be a little awkward. But if you would say that you have some work to do in your prayer life, would you please raise your hand? Like if you would say, I admit Okay, yeah, it's a resounding yes there in Edgewood too. Raise your hands. It's a resounding yes. We all would say that in our prayer life, we have work to do. That there's more for us to, to discover. That there's more for us to see that God has for us. And I think prayer can oftentimes be a challenging thing. But let me just kind of give you a brief working definition of what prayer is and, and what we are going to dive in to see over the next few weeks. Prayer is this. It's a continual conversation that becomes an encounter with a holy God. It's a continual conversation that becomes an encounter with a holy God. And what we see is this, is that there's a multitude of people who ask for things from God. Yes? I mean, many of us in here have asked for things from God. I remember uh, reading um, a book that was kind of a, about John F. Kennedy, and Kennedy was shot down uh, in his naval days and was actually in the Pacific. And uh, while he was stranded in the Pacific, uh, the book said that in those days, he actually prayed to God, and he said, God, if you'll rescue me, then I'll give you all the days of my life. The bottom line is, is that in that moment of his life, he needed rescuing, but it, it, it was a conversation, but he did not, if you look at his life and the way that he lived his life, he didn't take that conversation and make it a continual encounter with God. Because what an encounter with God does is it changes you. It changes us as people from the inside out. Yes? 
And so it's one thing simply to ask God for things. Hey, God, I'd really like a new job. I am miserable here working with these same people. My boss is a jerk. I'm tired of those people. And some of you, you have a boss in this room. So hey, like, don't, don't like make that too obvious, okay? But like for some of you, like you, you pray, like, God, can you please help me get a new car? God, can you please help me with this and with that? And I think we take Scripture, and sometimes we, if we're not careful, we manipulate it to a sense. Sometimes we just don't understand it. But the bottom line is this, is that we know that the Scripture says, if you ask, you receive. But the question is, is you've got to be able to determine what your motives are. For instance, James 4, verse 3 says, You ask, and you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And so as we come to God in prayer and we wonder, is prayer beneficial? The question we have to ask is, as we approach a holy God, as we move from a conversation to an encounter, is our questioning, are our asking, are the motives pure? Or are we simply coming to Him for another handout? God, help me in this situation. Help me here. Help me there. Because the bottom line is this. Prayer is about communing, conversating, wrestling, and encountering God. Just as Jacob wrestled with God overnight, his hip was stricken, and he walked with a limp all the days of his life, you and I, after conversating, wrestling, and encountering God, ought to walk away changed. And I think, honestly, so many of us in this room would admit just as you raised your hands a few minutes ago, that our prayer lives stink because we are not making it about a, a, a continual encounter with a holy God. But we're making it a conversation piece that may be happening. And we know that Ephesians 6, what it says, well, we should pray continually. And so prayer is a position of our hearts as a conversation that's going on throughout our day. It's not just a set time that we sit in the morning or a set time in the evening or if you have been like me in the past, it, it seems to just kind of be whenever. You don't have a set time or a set place. You just kind of do it. And you're real casual about approaching a holy God. Well, today, I want to just answer this question. Why should we pray? Like, what's the greatest value of prayer? And I know if you are like me and tend to almost be selfish at times, you think the greatest thing about prayer is having everything you request answered. But that's not the greatest thing about prayer. The greatest thing about prayer is the communing, the conversating, and the wrestling with a holy God. And what's incredible is, is that if you look at Scripture, you see prayer fills the Scriptures. Yes? Abraham, Genesis 18, he prays for Sodom and Gomorrah. And he wrestles with God. And he works God down from, hey, what if there's 50 that are, are, are faithful men? Would you save the city? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? And ultimately, God said, if there are 10 faithful men, I'll save the city. But the problem is, is there wasn't faithful men, not 10 in that city. And so what happened? The city was destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah was ruined. But do you know what happened? What's interesting is, is that as Abraham prayed, he was praying for something spectacular, a city to be saved. But do you know the motives behind his, pure, his, his prayer? Is what that he had a, a nephew, right? His name was Lot that happened to be in the city. Shouldn't have been there, but he was. And God redeemed him, saved him before he what? 
ruined the entire city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because there was a wrestling conversation, and in his persistence, God called Abraham to pray and to seek him, and as he sought him, he found him, and he saw what God had in mind in that situation. Something that if you look in Genesis 18, Abraham did not even pray for. Abraham didn't pray specifically for Lot to be saved. He prayed for a city. God in his perfect will said, it shouldn't be a city that's saved, but I will redeem your nephew Lot. And it's prayer and it's an encounter with God. You see that David, the king of Israel, he prayed. Uh, He wrote much of what we know of the book of Psalms, prayers, as, as he encountered God. He passed that down. Even his son Solomon, as he built the temple, he dedicated in prayer to God. If you look at Nehemiah, you remember his request. He wanted to uh, go to the king, and he is praying fervently in Nehemiah chapter 1 that he would be able to return and what? Help rebuild the city and ultimately the walls of Jerusalem. Daniel, when he was in a hardship, uh, he prayed. And he even, uh, in Daniel chapter 2, he asked for wisdom and tact as he approached King Nebuchadnezzar. Prayer encompasses the Bible. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed uh, to begin his ministry. Jesus prayed in the most difficult time of his life as he sat in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. As sweat drops of blood dropped from his head, he prayed. He prayed when he took his final breath on the cross. As he gave up his spirit to the Lord, he was praying. He oftentimes prayed all hours of the night. If you remember him going to the disciples and saying, hey, can, can you not just pray for one hour? Why do you keep falling asleep? And I feel, like, I feel like one of those disciples, you know what I'm talking about? Which is one of the greatest reasons that I struggle to pray very well at night. I always find myself falling asleep, yes? But what's interesting is prayer encompasses the Bible. It encompasses the early church. In Acts chapter 1, you see them praying. In Acts chapter 2, it says they met together and they devoted themselves to what? Prayer and the apostles' teaching in Acts chapter 2, 42. Is prayer important? Yes, but what's interesting is, is that most of us in this room, most of us in Edgewood would say that although prayer is really important, I stink at it. Yes? Are you with me? Yes, isn't that terrible? Like, we love God, we believe that prayer is important, it encompasses the scriptures, and yet we would all say, emphatically, we're not very good at it. We're not good at seeking and approaching God. Sometimes we're lazy and slothful in prayer. Other times we don't see the importance of it. And then yet other times we come to God in a very selfish manner saying, God, would you give me a new job? Would you give me a new house? Would you give me a new car? Hey, would you give me a new dog because I'm tired of this one? And we just pray. And for some of you in here, yes, I know, you're like, God, would you please give me a new husband, one that does something right? And husbands are praying for wives. Would you please tell her to quit nagging me, God? Would you please, yeah? And so we know prayer is important. We know that it's a continual conversation that becomes an encounter. But what has God done for us that's so amazing? I want you to see it. Because um, prayer is, is simply this. Let me just kind of start out. I'm going to put it for you up on the screen. Is this? We should not see prayer as a way to get more of God, right? But a way to get more of God himself. Okay? Not as a means to get more from God but a way to get more of God himself. And so if, if prayer, and the most important aspect of prayer is getting more of God himself, then wouldn't we want to stay in continual prayer? Wouldn't we want to be in that awe-inspiring, ever-entrenched, 
prayer, persistence, faithfulness, saying, God, would you show yourself to me? God, would you make yourself known to me? Because let me explain something to you, friends. Listen to this. The question is not, does God know you fully? The better question is, is do you know God fully? God has created you in the inmost being. He created you in your mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the number of days that you'll live. He knows that your life is but a vapor. And though he knows you and he loves you and he cares for you, the question is, do you know him? Do you love him? And do you care for him? Because if you do, then all of us in the next 21 days, 28 days, as we discover prayer, we ought to what? Seek him and know him and abide in him, wanting more of him completely. Amen? For instance, let me just ask you this question. If you and I approached prayer as if we had something going on in our life, for instance, let's say that you had a deadly disease. It was a potent, toxic disease, but yet doctors had a cure for it. And the one cure was a simple Simple cure that every night you were to take a capsule that was filled with medicine. And then if you would take it with a glass of water or your favorite drink, then every single night you would rest well and would prolong the days of your life. But to fail to take that one pill, to fail to take that one piece of medicine would actually cause you to die in your sleep overnight. Let me ask you a question. If life was important to you, do you think you'd take a pill? Yes? Absolutely you would. Matter of fact, I would have every single alarm on my phone set. You know what I mean? Like at at 8 o'clock, I'd have a reminder. Um, I would have one at 9 o'clock. I'd have one at 9.05, 9.10, 9.20, 9.30, much like I do when I try to get up in the the mornings, right? Like alarms. My wife was like, hey, are you going to wake up? In the same way, I would say, hey, Kelly, would you please make sure that when you hear these alarms, you remind me to take that pill? I would call up some of my buddies, wouldn't I? Hey, please, 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 every night, set an alarm on your phone and call me so I don't forget to take this pill because without taking it, you die. Do you see the importance of that? That's prayer. Prayer is the most essential ingredient that God has given to the believer. An encounter with God that moves us, that changes us, that aligns us with His will. And yet we don't set an alarm for it. We don't ask for accountability from our buddies to help us remember. Why? Because it's just not become that important to us. But if you'll see this text, if you'll see that just as one pill could save your life, prayer can change your life, and it gives you an encounter with God, my, I, I believe truly that we'll walk out of here today and, and we'll, we'll begin a new intensity in our prayer life. So check out this scripture in John chapter 16. Uh, John chapter 16, uh, it's in the, the Gospels, and so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in John chapter 16, you're going to see that Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. Uh, he has invested in these men for three years, and this is what you call the upper room discourse. It's uh, trending towards the end of it, so we know that the crucifixion is near. John chapter 17, you're going to see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and so you know that his capture is near. But look what he says to these men in John chapter 16, starting in verse 23. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Now, a really good question to ask here is if you look at verse 23 is, what is in that day? Because here it is, he's invested three years of his life. 
in these men. And then he says, in that day, you're not going to question me about anything. And so what is that day? That day is going to come after the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and prior to the ascension, where Jesus is going to have, prior to Pentecost, time with his disciples. And what are they going to see? They're going to see him for who he is, more clearly. Even at this point, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to suffer much. I'm going to lay my life down. And the temple is going to be destroyed, but it will be resurrected in three days. And they're all looking at each other wondering, what in the world is he talking about? They can't truly understand, although at this point you've had Peter announce that he is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. They still are not grasping the fact he's going to lay his life down for his friends, that he's going to become a servant among servants. And so here it is, Jesus says, but there's going to be a day which you understand. There's going to be a day in which you no longer ask me questions. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Do you look at it? you see that? He tells these men, but truly, if you ask for anything of my Father in my name, he's going to give it to you. The question is, why? Well, here's the bottom line. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. For instance, like, have, you ever, have you ever tried to go up to an important person that, that you really don't know and you want to just introduce yourself to them? Maybe it was someone that came and they were a speaker at one of your events or uh, maybe it was someone who'd been elected. I mean, it would be like approaching the president or someone like that, but like someone of prominence or importance. You're like, I want so badly just to, to introduce myself to them. And the one thing that you have going for you is not the fact that they know you or you know them, but that you have a friend that's very close to them. Have you ever had that happen? And you're able to kind of like break the conversation. It's kind of an icebreaker of sorts when you approach them and you say, Hello, sir, my name is Brandon Bactel, and I know you don't know me, but you know one of my really good friends. And in that moment, like you see that all the conversations around him, they kind of like, they kind of begin to cease. And he just looks you in the eye and he goes, oh, yes, we're really good friends. How do you know him? And you begin this conversation and the conversation begins because of the mediator that you have in your friend. Yes? Like, matter of fact, most of the conversations that I go into, they seem awkward. But when I have a common mediator, someone that I can go, yeah, you know him. I don't have a problem approaching them because I know how I would treat someone. If someone came to me and they said, Pastor Brandon, I know you don't know me. I happen to live in the city of Edgewood. I attend over there. You've never seen me. But I know one of your really good friends. I would treat them as if they were my own friend. I can think that if they came to my house, I would sit and we would pour us a Diet Coke or a glass of tea. We would drink a cup of coffee and we would commune together. Why? Not because of the relationship that I have with him, but the relationship that I have with my friend. My friends, that's what John chapter 16, verse 23 is saying. Look at it. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. You have access to the Father because of his son, Jesus Christ. You have access to the throne of the most holy place because of Jesus Christ. The high priest, the mediator. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, yet we have one who is tempted every way just as you are, yet was without sin. And because of the fact that Jesus made himself to live among men, but to be perfect in the midst of sinners, he gave us complete access to a holy God. Amen? And my friends, that's one of the greatest things. If prayer is a conversation that moves to encounter, 
we know that we can encounter God not on our own merit, not because we got our life together one day, not because we've become pretty good people, but because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Look at, look at Luke chapter 7 uh, with me, um, verses 1 through 5. I want to kind of give you an example. And this is a finite example. Uh, you may go, hey, you're stretching a little bit. I don't think so. I think this is a really good picture of this same principle. But in Luke chapter 7, you see Jesus settling in the area of Capernaum, and uh, he's going to have a conversation with a centurion. And a centurion is a Roman soldier. And so you know that he's a Roman man, and he has this dilemma because one of his slaves is sick and about to die. And so if you look at it in verse 1, it says, When he had completed all his discourse and the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. That's Jesus. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. Now the centurion is Roman, and you know that his slave would probably be either Roman or Greek or something, but he's a Gentile. Got me? So he's one of us, meaning he is not a part of God's ultimate uh, first people, Israel. But look what happened. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of a slave. So who is it that sent them? The centurion took his slave, and though he couldn't help himself, he gathered some what? People to go and approach Jesus. Now, the significance of this passage is who the Roman centurion gathered. Who did he gather? He gathered people of Israel, some of their elders in that day, to approach Jesus. And look what Jesus does. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. And you know, if the centurion had just approached Jesus on his own and said, Hey, you know, um, I'm, I'm Larry the centurion. And I know you don't know me, but I'm a Roman centurion, and uh, I have great significance, prominence, and importance to my land. And I think you should do something for me. I don't believe for a moment that Jesus had to be inclined to answer. Matter of fact, we see that throughout the scriptures, Jesus answers and aligns himself with the prayers of those who believe in him. And two occasions that I know of, you see Jesus answer the prayers of people who do not believe. One of those scenarios was on the boat when Jonah was heading to Tarshish. And you remember those guys start praying, what in the world is happening here? And then Jonah speaks up and he goes, I'm the problem. So they throw him overboard. God heard the prayers of unbelievers there. But what you see time and time again, God is most inclined to hear, to answer, to align himself and his will. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He gives you the desires of your heart and implores himself, puts himself in your life when you know him and when you have a mediator on your behalf. In this case, in Luke chapter 7, there was a mediator for this Roman centurion. It had nothing to do with his name being Larry and it had nothing to do with his position, his, his title, or his prominence. It had everything to do that in that moment he had the wisdom to send someone to Jesus that could act and speak on his behalf. And who was it? It was the beloved son of God, the nation of Israel. Not the Gentiles. Why? Because as Gentiles, I want you to know, Gentiles speaking, we are not sons of the Heavenly Father. 
we are adopted into his family. We do not have a rightful birth. We didn't come to God because of our own merit. We didn't come to God uh, because of uh, our own design, the will of men. We came simply because his grace as adopting sons and daughters into the family. Amen? And so if you are an estranged, adopted son or daughter, how do you have the best access to the Father? Through the family line. Yes? And in this case, you see that we approach God based off of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24 in John 16. I got you flipping back and forth. But it says, Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. That your joy may be made full. He says, you can ask in what? Whose name? Jesus' name. Now, I want you to understand something. It's really important. Y'all listening? You paying attention? What Jesus is saying here, he says, it is about approaching God and asking him in Jesus' name. But let, let me clarify something. You go, oh, I get it. And I, like all you people back there in the back, I get it. Edgewood too, you're going, oh, I get it. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. No, 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 no. Jesus is not giving us an effective sign-off, okay? For, it's, it's not like you're on the break. Uh, 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 I'm going to sign off for this Brandon B. Coming down to 80. Uh, okay, see you later. No, I mean, it's, it's not about your sign-off. It's about your sign-on. Do you get this? Listen, it's not about you signing off. It's not, God, I need this and this and this, and in Jesus' name, I pray you'll answer. It's about your sign-off. God, I am broken. God, you know my spirit is crushed. But God, I implore to you, I come to you in the name of Jesus, the high priest, the one who gives me access to you. And God, I pray that you would hear my prayer. Do you see the difference? It's not about a phrase. And though you have some friends in some circles, they would say emphatically, no, 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 no. John 16 says you got to pray in Jesus' name. No, no, no. You enter the, you enter the most holy place because of Jesus his blood sacrifice, and all that he's done for you. And we know that sometimes, even though we don't know what to, uh, to utter, we know that Jesus is what speaking on our behalf, and even more than that, we'll look who else helps us. But look how it continues, verse 25. He says, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in a figurative language, but I will tell you plainly of the Father. He goes, there's going to be a day in which we don't have this rigmarole, we don't have all of these challenges here. I'm going to speak plainly and you'll understand. The Spirit of God will manifest on them. They'll clearly see what for ages they've, they've kind of understood. Because the bottom line is this. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in our hearts. Romans 1.20 says that we can look at God's invisible creation or all the things that have been made visible and we know that there's God. But there's a difference between knowing that there is a God and encountering God. Amen? And here he says, there's going to be a day where you will know the Father plainly. It won't be figurative speech. It won't be something that you just have a, a tendency to lean towards, but you'll know him, you'll abide in him because of Jesus Christ. And then look at this. Look what Jesus says in 26 and 27, which I think is so awesome for the believer. Look at it. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. Do you see that? He goes, you're going to approach him 
in the name of Jesus because of what I've done, but you really don't even need me now. Why? Because he says once you're adopted into the family, God knows you. John 10, I am the great shepherd, you are the sheep, and what? The sheep know me and they hear my voice. Yes? John chapter 15, verse 5, If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Why? Because he is the vine and we are the branches. How does that become possible? Get this. You're far from God because of your sin and your recognition of where you are and what you've done. God says, I'm going to pave a way for you through Jesus Christ. And as you enter the presence of a holy God, he says, now because you're in my presence, you've been adopted no longer as aliens or strangers or even pilgrims in this world. But you're a son, a daughter of the Most High King. You now have complete access to me. You can encounter me anytime. And not only do I hear you, I know you. Wow. Like, is there anybody else that like is here and goes, wow, that's incredible. So you mean God, like, the, the thing that I should desire most is not for you to answer the, the petty things that I need? No. The greatest thing you can have from God is an encounter with Him day in and day out because He loves you and He knows you. And the more you encounter Him, the more you invoke Him in His name through His precious Son, the more that you wrestle with Him, the more that you see Him, the more that... Um, you encounter Him, the more He delights Himself in you. And He gives you Psalm 37 for the desires of your heart. And you're like, well, the desire of my heart is a Lamborghini. No, 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 no. You, you, you took that one. What is the desire of, of every believer's heart? Here's the desire of every believer's heart. It is to know and abide in the Word. And get this, there is nothing in this Bible that you cannot pray and will not receive. If your desires don't line up with the Word of God, it is a surefire sign that you are not wrestling or encountering God. Do you hear me? If they are not consistent with the pattern of His Word, you are not encountering God. You may be approaching Him, but you are not encountering Him. You are not wrestling with him. Why? Because there is nothing in here that he will not accomplish through your life. That's his desire. Align yourself through the Son with a Holy Father and he'll give you the desires, accomplish all those things in your life because he's a good and gracious Father. Amen? And so you're here and you go, okay, that's fantastic. What else has he done for you? Well, I'm going to close it with this. You ready? Romans chapter 8, if you got it, I want you to turn there. Paul picks up on this idea, okay? Paul clearly understands. He's had an encounter with the Holy God on the road to Damascus. He clearly understands what God has done for him. And so he is writing to the Roman church, this group of people in Rome. Who knows, Larry the centurion may even be grafted into this conversation. You know, we don't know. But look what he does. Paul picks up on this, and he says, Romans 8, verse 15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoptions as sons as we cry out, Abba, Father. Do you see this? He's writing to a Roman people. 
who are not by, they're not a, the sons of Israel. They're not God's chosen people, but they've been adopted in as what? The recurring theme as sons. And because of your adoption, you are able to cry out to God, Abba, Father. One of the best translations that we would know is saying, Daddy, Daddy, God, thank you for being my father. And there are some of us in this room that you've never had a consistent father. You've never had one that you could converse with, commune with, know very well. And here it is. We know that because of Jesus Christ, the mediator and the high priest, and because of what the Spirit has done on our behalf, we can have a father, a daddy, one that's always there, one that never leaves nor forsakes you, one that does not leave you out, one that says, if I call you, I'm going to, what, carry what I've started in you into completion. So isn't that really cool? That as you encounter God, he's not going to leave you where you are, but he's going to continue you on this process of knowing him and abiding in him. That's prayer. That's what it is. Then look what it says. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you get that? So like, even as the Son, you see, he said in John, even I don't have to speak of the Father knows you. Why? Because the Son testifies, the Spirit testifies, Basically, there's going to be a day where we stand before God at the end of the age and he's going to say, why should I let you into heaven? And before you ever even enter a word, it's going to be like a pickup game of basketball and you're going to have the Son and the Spirit going, oh, he's ours, he's ours. And all I'm going to do is just drop down to my knees and say, thank you, thank you, thank you that I didn't have to utter a foolish word. Because you know what the most amazing thing about the concept of prayer is? Is that God even invites us into the conversation. Get this? Like, think about it. A holy God redeeming unperfect people, and then he allows you to say something. Why? Like, if I was God, do you know what I would do? And there's a reason I'm not, okay? But if I was God, I would take you in your sin, and I would dust you off. I would make you perfect and right. I would sit you on the bench, and I would say, shut up and don't say a word. Because I'm afraid that the moment that you said something, an hour later, you're going to screw it up. Sound familiar? And yet God continues to invite us into this conversation. God continues to allow imperfect people to have a voice. I always say that. And if you're joining us in Edgewood, I always say this. Stone Point Church has always been a group of misfits. People who could never find their place at sometimes other churches, but most of all in life and in the world. And God's dusted you off. And the cool thing is, is he hasn't merely set you on the bench, but he's invited you to be a part of his story. As he invades your life and he invades our communities and this county through your story. So is it important that the spirit testifies on our behalf? Absolutely. Do you know why? Because sometimes God gives us a voice, but even in our voice, sometimes we don't even know how to pray. You got me? Look at this. Romans 8, a little further down, verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Anybody weak in here? He helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know, does that encourage you? Wives, this should be an awesome encouragement for you. You got me? Why? Because you're like, I don't even know how to pray for that dude that sleeps in the bed with me. And like you look at him, 
And you're like, I don't even know how to pray. And the cool thing is, is right here, it says, when you don't know what to pray, the Spirit speaks up on your behalf. Why? Because the Spirit knows groaning. And sometimes, like you just groan, like you don't even know what to pray. And, and I'll tell you, in the life of Stone Point Church and the leadership of our church, there's been many a times where I just come to God and I'm like, God, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. Like, God, I don't know what it is that we're supposed to do. God, I, I just, I don't know. And it's just the Spirit takes all of that weakness and He just picks up. And so, like, do you understand that prayer is not merely about words? If you can sit someplace in the quietness and the stillness of your heart, if you can be still and know that you're God, and you can think, then you have an ability to align yourself with a holy God because the Spirit intercesses on your behalf. That's pretty powerful. Do you understand why that's important? It's important because in Matthew chapter 6, you see that you do not need to babble on like fools in prayer. Some of you in here, like that's the most fearful and trepidatious thing. I am so afraid to pray out loud. I'm so afraid. And while that might be a discipline that you need to eventually develop, the cool thing is that the Spirit, He knows what it is that we need when we align ourselves with God. Then look how it continues. In verse 27, And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you see that? And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to what? The will of God. Now, I don't know about you, but as we take a few more weeks and we look at prayer, the cool thing that we should be looking for is how do we align ourselves with what? The will of God. Because isn't that what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17? Father, is there any way that this cup could pass from me. But not my will, but what? Thy will be done. And so the question is, is this. Should we pray? Yes. Why? Because praying brings us into God's presence. Do you understand that? And, and let me explain something to you. In times where there is a storm brewing in your life, the mere stopping of your life to reorder it in prayer of wrestling and communing with God gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding. Amen? When you are confused, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask and God will grant it to you. Merely stopping and reordering your day in prayer aligns you with the will of God. When you are sick and you need healing, Confess your sins one to another. Bring people together and pray. Why? Because God encompasses His will on the life of believers who stop and align themselves with Him. And so let me leave you with this one phrase. I think it's enough for us to chew on and think about all week long. And here it is. Failure to pray is not simply breaking a religious rule. But it's a failure to treat God as God. Your failure as all of us admitted earlier, to not be very good at praying is not merely breaking some religious rule. But it's a failure to recognize that God is holy and He's granted you complete access through His Son and a Spirit who's a more suitable helper that groans even when you don't have words. And so what am I trying to explain to you? Listen to me, listen. I am trying to explain to you that in the next 28 days, 
I want you to carve out time in your day to align yourself with God. Not merely to approach Him casually, but to come to Him in the name of His Son, Jesus, the one who's paved a way for you, and I want you just to wrestle with Him. You may not even have many words to say, but the crazy thing is, through Scripture says, we don't have to have great words. You don't have to be an excellent speaker to, to be able to meet with the Holy God. Here's what you have to be. You have to be a servant, willing to say, God, I am broken, but I need you more than I need anything else. And here's the, here's the amazing thing. Oftentimes, we think we need everything else, and we leave the Holy God on the bench. Amen? But if you get it in the right order, you know it's not simply a religious rule, but it's treating God as God. You need to know that He took you, restored you, gave you the ability to get in the game and play. And the incredible thing is, because I'm not God and He is, He allows you to actually get in the game and play, although you're broken, messed up, and although all of us in this room would admit we should be better about prayer. And so is God good? Absolutely He is. And for that reason, we're going to close and thank him for being a good God that allows us to come into his presence. And we'll talk in the coming weeks about how to pray and what that all looks like. But the bottom line is this. We need to know that the greatest thing about prayer is that broken people can have complete access to a holy God. Amen? So may we wrestle well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, Father, for the Word of God. I pray that you would delight yourself in us. That, Father, that you would give us the desires of our heart. Lord, that you would speak to us. That we would know you. That we would abide in you. That we would be refreshed in you. And, Father, that we would recognize that in our brokenness, just as Jesus healed the lame, just as he made the blind to see, just as He made the leper clean, He's taken us in our brokenness, in our sin, in our shame, and He's given us complete access to the holy place, our Heavenly Father. And Lord, I'm thankful, Father, that You allow us to call You Abba, Father, that You are our Daddy, that You care so deeply for us, that You know us, that we hear You, and that we can respond. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, just as many of us raised our hands earlier and we said we're not very good at this prayer life, may we know that it's not merely about request or petitioning you, but it's about meeting with you. It's about communing with you, conversating with you, wrestling with you, so that daily we encounter you in a personal, personal way. Lord, we love you. We thank you, we commit our lives to you, and Lord, we confess to you that we need you very much. And Lord, we confess that there have been many times that we've looked for the wisdom of men rather than the wisdom of God. That in our calmness, we've found other things to suffice rather than a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so God, I pray that you would show us who you are. And most of all, you would show us that we have complete access, though we're sinners to a holy God through Jesus Christ. In your wonderful, precious name, we pray. Amen.